Father, we praise you for this time together this evening. We praise you that you speak to us through your word. We pray that you would do that now and help us to get to know you better. Help us to trust you. Help us to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we go. I've got some quotes for you. And I'd like you to identify the authors. We are more popular than Jesus. John Lennon, quite right. There we go. Sorry if I'm in the way. But um, we are bigger than the Beatles. Oasis, indeed. In fact, it was Liam Gallagher, apparently, who actually said those words, we are bigger than the Beatles. Okay. Um, my greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. Madonna? No, it wasn't Madonna. It wasn't Robbie Williams. It was Kanye West <laughs> before his dramatic um, conversion. Um, and then finally, here's a comment in the visitor's book. Oh, that's Kanye West. Uh, a comment in the visitor's book at the Anne Frank House in Amsterdam. Okay, comments in the visitor's book at Anne Frank House in Amsterdam. It's truly inspiring to have been able to come here. Anne was a great girl. Hopefully, she would have been a believer. <laughs> well, you know who said that, don't you? That was the man himself, Justin Bieber. Now, I, know, I don't know about you, but I, I find it very easy indeed to diagnose and highlight arrogance when it occurs in other people. And we can be very quick to diagnose lack of humility in other people. We find it obvious and unattractive. And yet, actually, how good are we at spotting the same problems in ourselves? The reading we have in front of us from James is typically blunt, as James continues his contrast in his letter between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. His letter is about wholeheartedness, single-mindedness, and he wants his readers to see the ways that they allow the world around them to influence their Christian lives. It's no good saying you're a Christian, claiming to have faith in Jesus, if that is not borne out in your life. It's no good listening to the word, you actually need to go and do it. And so chapter 4, as we began to see last week, focuses on humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The route to real life and fulfilment and joy with God goes via humility, emptying ourselves, just as Jesus emptied himself and gave himself up for us, as we heard in the first reading. So the point is this. We hear about someone like Kanye West or John Lennon or Liam Gallagher comparing themselves in some way um, with Jesus or God or whatever it is, or just building themselves up. And, and we think, I guess, most of us, you know, how bizarre, how repulsive even. But James has got a surprise for us. Lack of humility, comparing yourself with God, thinking you're God, is exactly the problem. But that's because it's the problem with the entire human race, including you and me. And in these verses, James shows us how you don't have to go on TV and say crazy things in an interview to be guilty of thinking that in some way you are better than the rest. And thinking even that in some way you are God. In fact, you just have to be human. And in these verses, he diagnoses for us two ways in which we, like everyone else, like to think of ourselves 
as God. So first, in verses 11 and 12, he says to us, you are not the judge. You're not the judge. James talks about slander. He doesn't mean that in the narrow legal sense that we use it today. He means much more broadly, speaking badly of someone, judging them, doing them down, wishing evil upon them. Now remember this section began at the beginning of chapter 3 with a focus on the tongue. What we say reveals what's in our hearts. And when you speak against someone or you pass judgment on someone else, James says, you are acting as judge. You're taking God's rightful place. Jesus summarized the Old Testament law as loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And James is saying, when you slander, you're doing neither of those things because you're taking the place of God, standing in judgment over someone and you are failing to love your brother or sister. So you're judging the law because you're saying you know better than what God says in his law. But our place is not over the law as judge, but under the law, humbly submitting. There's only one lawgiver, one judge, he says. And he has a couple of penetrating rhetorical questions in these verses. And, and here's the first one. Who are you to judge your neighbour? You are not the judge. But what kind of judging does he mean then when he says, who are you to judge your neighbour? You know, people often like to quote Jesus who said something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not lest you be judged. And they take that and they apply it to every interaction between Christians such that we should never say anything remotely negative about anybody in any circumstance. Have you heard people sort of quote that in that kind of way? But in practice we know that that's unworkable, isn't it? Because it's not how things work. You know, suppose someone is committing an obvious crime. They're stealing. Suppose even they themselves are, are, are gossiping and stirring things up in a community, a group of friends, a church, a workplace. Do we just say, oh no, no, don't judge, lest you be judged? Or do we realise, actually no, now is the time to step in and do something. And actually James himself takes a judging attitude to others at times, even in this letter. And Jesus had plenty to say about discipline within churches when things go wrong and also about submitting to lawful authorities so the point is not that there should be no judging of anyone ever no discerning whether someone is in the right or the wrong but more that it's very easy to take a situation where someone has wronged us or wronged others and used um, use that whole situation to our advantage for self-promotion in some way. Do you know the saying, the old saying, that if you're going to point your finger at someone else, you need one finger pointing at God and three fingers pointing back at you. But very often we focus just on that one finger pointing forwards and we forget that there, but for the grace of God, go I. We make ourselves the judges of what is right and wrong. I remember someone I met when I lived in Chesham before moving here, and I was talking to him about Jesus, and he said this to me. He said, if Jesus came back today, and maybe I met him in the street, I'd say to him, I'm sorry. And I thought, well, fair enough. You know, that, that sounds like a good place to start. And he said, I'm sorry for all those other dreadful people in the world and for all the bad things they've done. James is saying, no, no, it's not just them. 
is us. The line between good and evil isn't out there in the world. It runs down the middle of us. And when we sit on our high horse and we judge other people, we're setting ourselves up as God because it's his job, not ours. Very often we respond to evil done to us with evil done in return because we think deep down that if we don't sort it out, who will? But actually, God will. He set a day when wrongs will be put right. We can trust him to do that, but will we trust him? Or will we think we can do better? We can do his job for him now. So when this week we're tempted to get back at someone, to retaliate, to speak evil of them, to gossip about them, James is saying, no, leave it to God. He's the judge. Who are you? Who am I to judge our neighbour? I think with the, uh, the situation we're in with coronavirus, one of, one of the things that might happen at some point is Christians start to disagree with one another over how we should respond to things, you know, what we should be doing when and how, how we, we, we put things into practice. It'd be very easy for us then to slander one another, to fall out with one another, to sit in judgment on one another and assume the worst motives about one another. But actually... The first step in, at every stage will be to humble ourselves before God and remember we're not the judge. And then James carries on, verses 13 to 17. He goes on, you are not the boss. You're not the boss. So verse 13, now listen you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. What's he saying? Well, this is about self-sufficient pride, isn't it? Self-confident hubris. It's the kind of thing that makes a band say they're going to be bigger than the Beatles, but it's also the kind of thing that goes on in our hearts all the time. So again, with, with coronavirus, one of the reasons it's causing such a panic is because it, it strikes at our deepest desires about being in control. That's why the supermarket shelves are completely empty. Extraordinary. Don't see this. But we, we, we're doing this. People are doing this. We're, we're all doing this because we think we need to be micromanaging every detail of our lives. We can't leave anything to chance. And when something comes along that sort of undermines that, it's terrifying. And the issue is thinking that we are in charge, that it's all down to us, that we're the boss, that life is ours for the taking. So we, you know, we, we mustn't miss here James in verse 13. He's not dismissing all forms of business and every type of planning, but he's saying when we carry on without reference to God, assuming that everything is going to carry on as it is, with no humility, no reliance on the one who gave us life and sustains every moment of our lives, when we do that, we are playing God. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And the current situation drives that home more and more, doesn't it? And the question then is whether that will simply terrify us or whether it will cause us to humble ourselves before God and say, do you know what? I'm not in control. I can't be in control, but I know the one who is. So I'm going to trust him instead. And then James has another penetrating rhetorical question in verse 14. What is your life? 
So he says, you're not the judge, you're not the boss. And actually, when it comes down to it, do you know what you are? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, a bit of mist can be beautiful, can't it? You, know, you might catch a bit of mist in the early morning on the heath, hanging over London, concealing the shard from miles away, whatever it is. But when the sun comes up, it's gone. Think of the steam that comes out of the boiler there for a moment and then it goes get some perspective James is saying you could be right at the top of your game whatever that might be but without being too morbid how long will it take in the future for even our own descendants if we have them to have no idea who we were I don't think it's as long as we would like to think it might be And we don't like to acknowledge it, but we know, too, that life can be taken away in a moment, at any time. And actually, it shouldn't be coronavirus that that brings us to our senses, should it? This is what is true of human beings. The one thing that is true of everybody is that we die, and it's the one thing that we don't want to talk about. It could be accident, it could be cancer. Life is incredibly fragile just like the mist and of course that makes human life hugely valuable and worth protecting in every possible way of course it does doesn't mean we just say oh never mind no we we want to pray for those um, who are working in healthcare and caring for people at, at these times and as in all times of course we do but you're a mist says James don't forget it And of course, we'll we'll seek to to make a living. Of course, we'll seek to provide for our loved ones. Of course, we'll seek to make provision for the future. And future planning is part of that. But the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Not, do I make too many plans or do I make too few plans? But actually, what kind of planner am I? Verse 15, he says, instead, we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, this is a lot more than just the form of words that we use. People used to say DV. You come across that? DV, God willing, Deo Valenti is what it stands for. You know, the sort of thing you prefix all you say to sort of be extra holy. Or, 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 you know, sometimes people, much, much worse, they say things like touch wood, which actually is a pagan religion thing. Um, But actually, Jesus and others in the Bible clearly make plans without using a special form of words all the time it's not as you know jesus says he's going across the other side of the lake and off he goes he doesn't sort of say you know um, god willing every time he speaks it's not about the form of words it's about the attitude underneath so what kind of planner am i what kind of planner are you am i playing god in my plan setting myself up as the boss is my life compartmentalized into Sunday where God is the boss and the rest of the week where I'm in charge our plans need to be submitted to God's will and if we're wondering what that looks like there are plenty of clues in the rest of the letter it comes down to two things are we listening to God in his word are we humbly accepting the word implanted in us as he puts it in chapter one are we letting God shape our hearts our desires our aspirations our ambitions as we listen to him in sermons and Bible studies and personal Bible reading, are we submitting our plans to him in prayer? 
We've been thinking a lot about this over the last few weeks and we had a little mini-series on guidance. But it's a, it's a pretty simple thing, isn't it? To sit down, to pray over the day to come, the week to come, the month to come, to pray with our diaries open, just saying, Lord, this isn't just my life that I'm doing my way. I give this to you. Of course, I need to make some decisions when we thought about how you make decisions about what you do in, in that series, and you can listen to it online if you want to. But the key thing is the, the attitude that underlies it. These days to come are not mine, but yours, Lord. This life is a gift, not a right. And one sign of whether we're doing that is how we then respond when things go wrong, isn't it? When they don't go according to plan, or at least not according to our plan. Is that then the end of the world? You know, do we scream and shout and rage against the people around us and at God for daring to spoil our plans? Or do we, you know, maybe acknowledge the pain where things are painful and then pray, remembering that the fact that God is in charge is a comfort and not a drag because he is in charge. He's sovereign. He's not... And he's not, he's not the boss in a distant, impersonal, untrustworthy, tyrannical sense, but in a personal, loving, all-good, all-knowing way. He knows what is best for us. We can trust him. Even when the circumstances seem to conspire against us, he is going to use them to make us more like Jesus. If we're ever tempted to doubt that that's true, what do we have to do? We need to look at the cross, don't we? where God proved his ability to bring the highest possible good out of the worst possible evil. And that means as painful as it can be, he knows us better than we know ourselves, and we can trust him whatever the circumstances. So don't boast or brag about the future, says James. Remember who you are. You're not the judge. You're not the boss. You're not God. And if you know this, verse 17, and you ignore it, you're sinning. You're double-minded. The point of this all, however, is not just to make us feel bad about ourselves or guilty. The point of highlighting our sin is always to drive us to our Saviour. So remember verse 10, just before, from the end of last week. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. One of my favourite quotes about humility comes from C.S. Lewis. And he says that it, it, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. The way to free ourselves from being obsessed with ourselves is to just stop thinking about ourselves. And, but actually, that's really hard, isn't it? Unless we can find something or someone infinitely more glorious and wonderful and worth thinking about. Do you see? And the one who first humbled himself was Jesus. He humbled himself to death. God raised him up in his resurrection. And so that's what we should think of when we hear verse 10. When we share in Christ's sufferings and humiliation, we get to share as well in his vindication and resurrection. But that raising up is not to self-sufficient independence. It's to joyful relationship with the God who made us. Real life that, unlike the mist, never evaporates. This is good news, isn't it? That we have to believe for ourselves and that we have to share this week as we go out from here 
Uh, maybe we're in touch with colleagues. I know lots of people working from home now and doing all this sort of stuff, but there's a lot of panic, there's a lot of fear. And we could say, actually, the fear is real, but we know the one who is greater than that fear, who has control, and he's somebody we can trust. Yeah, it's okay, I'm not the boss. It's okay, I'm not the judge. I know the one who is, and I'm going to trust him with my life, and you can do that too. Let's commit to doing that this week and know that when we stop trying to play God, humble ourselves before him, we find that what superficially looks like the way of obscurity and misery and death turns out to be the way to real and lasting and satisfying life. Let's pray now. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to look at your words and for the encouragement that you are in control and we're not, and that is good news. May we remember that this week and beyond. May we remember that especially in the, in the face of fear, of anxiety, about all that's going on in the world and all that's going on with coronavirus. May you continue to Help us to delight in you day by day, to rest content in you, not to be anxious, but in everything to bring our prayers and our supplications before you. And then may we then know your peace that you promise as we trust in you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.